you'll say he's finally moved away from the brass feet. Maybe. I'll give a maybe. If I get through this today, if I don't get through this, we'll probably do one more. But I intend to go through this. And, I, and as, as I go through this, out of all the lessons I've done on this, and I, and I highly you know, say to you, go back and get them. Listen to them. You can get them on CD. You can get them through the podcast. I can show you how to get them on the phone. I can send them to you. I can email them to you. Text them to you. So you can get them and go back through them with the, with the Word of God, with the Bible. But as I say this, uh, this one today, I, I feel in my spirit, is probably the most important one I will have shared. And we'll see. I feel that in my spirit. I felt that this morning as I was sitting before the Lord and the Lord was just speaking in me. But, but as John saw the Son of Man, and we've read it many times, so I won't necessarily read that text this morning, but John saw the Son of Man in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and he described him. And we're going to move on in his description. You say, well, how long, Brother Wayne, can you go on about the Son of Man in the midst of the golden candlestick? Probably forever, to be truthful. Because the Son of Man is Christ, and the candlesticks are the church. And so the description John sees in the midst of the candlestick is, is probably for you, the believer, the, the most important part of the whole book of Revelations. And we're going to go on through the rest of the book, but Lord willing, if, if the Lord enables me, we're going to go through it. If He doesn't, we'll, we'll move elsewhere. But that'll be up to, to uh, the Lord. And, but John sees him in the midst of the candlestick, and he sees him with, with hair, white as wool, eyes of a flame of fire, uh, clothed with a garment, and Lord willing, that's where we're going to probably go in next, is the garment of the high priest, and around his chest, the golden girl, and feet, as brass burning in a fire. Out of his mouth, a two-edged sword. Countenance as the sun. I mean, that was... And, and John declares this is in the candlesticks. And he declared the seven candlesticks are the seven churches of Asia. So this description of Christ is in the church. And so we, we've talked about the brass feet relating to the brazen altar to the serpent of brass in the Old Testament of how that with Moses and children of Israel, they were bitten by the serpent. And as they, that story is in the book of Numbers. And they were bitten by the serpent and how God had commanded Moses to raise up a serpent of brass on a pole. And when they looked at the serpent of brass on a pole, those that had been bitten lived. And Jesus related that serpent on a pole to Himself. So when Jesus come, and we, we, we know John 3 so well, just, just flip over to John 3. We, we, most Christians can quote John 3.16, but if you ask them what's after 16 or what's before 16, you may get a blank stare. And it's probably a good idea to read what's before and what's after. Probably. But John 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He must be lifted up, Jesus said. 
So, must. That, in order. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Listen to this. God didn't send his Son to condemn the world, but that the that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. How many people believe that? He's not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Anyway, it was necessary that Christ be lifted up. And it was even necessary for the, the, the brass serpent to be lifted up because that was a testimony of Christ that was going to be lifted up that the serpents bite. And you know, it's no mistake that God sent fiery serpents among them because the serpent's bite goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the bite that had come upon mankind and death through sin that had come on mankind that, that whosoever believeth on Him is not condemned. Not only do they not die, they're not condemned. Many Christians today walk in condemnation. They walk around all the time condemned. Not just a little bit. They walk thinking, I'm not pleasing enough to God. Well, today I hope, I hope we'll see by the Scripture that Jesus made you free from sin. Made you free from its bite. Made you free from its consequence. No, if you look at yourself, you won't feel free. But if you, like they did, look up to the serpent on the pole, speaking of Christ, you shall live. You turn over to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, the Scripture says, what does the Scripture say? Verse 12. Read the whole Bible, the whole chapter, and you'll find where I'm at. Verse 12. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, as through one man, Sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So death passed unto all men, for that all sin. So through one man, sin entered into the world. So before that one man, that was disobedient in the Garden of Eden, sin wasn't in the world. But sin came through him, and it came upon mankind. Now, go back to Genesis 2. In Genesis 2.16, and then Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is very, very important. And I'm reading out the Amplified here. But Genesis 2, verse 16. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely, unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree of the garden, but only from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die. 
of course, in the Amplified says, because of your disobedience. But you most certainly shall die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Now has God really said this? And I, and I think sometimes the, the serpent may say that to us. Has God really said this? Is this what God really says? Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. So they, they hid because they didn't want to show their nakedness. Okay. Now, go down in verse 16 here. The first thing before I going in this, you know, he, he, he's, none is good. I just wrote a note. None is good but one that's God, and that's what Jesus says on over in the, in the New Covenant. So the only good one is God. But anyway, in Genesis 3.16, he says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now I want you to mark this. Not from a natural standpoint, but I want you to really, really mark what God said to the woman. The man shall rule over the woman. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns... Also in thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return into the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou should return. Notice this, cursed is the ground. Out of the ground you came. The ground was cursed, so the flesh was cursed, because the curse came, the, the flesh came out of the ground. So you want to know why? Flesh is cursed because it came from the ground. And Adam ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, the, and God cursed the earth. Okay. And what was produced in that realm was after the curse. We'll leave that alone for now. There's, you know, much more to be said. Romans 6. I'll read a lot in Romans 6 and 7 and then over in Colossians. But Romans 6, these are 
probably Brother Stanley's favorite scriptures. <laughs> so Romans 6, Apostle Paul says in verse 1 of Romans 6, What shall we then, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue in sin? Okay. In Adam, all died in sin. Get a hold of this. The Apostle Paul is saying to the Romans, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, not dead in sin, dead to sin, live any longer therein? This is a key thing right here. Dead to sin. In Adam, you died in sin. That's what you did. In Adam, all mankind died to sin. In Christ, you died to sin. That's why this is extremely, extremely important to understand. You died in His death to sin. So sin has no more victory over you. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. The reason Paul was writing this like this is because believers didn't understand this. That this is the work of Christ. And believers are like this today. That, that believers see Jesus as, as paying the penalty for my sins. And He did. They see Jesus as taking my sins. And He did. But they don't see many times this piece of it that He died to sin. He became dead to it. And, and through the Spirit of God, you are baptized into His death. Amen. You are placed with Him in death, and in His death is a death to sin. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should we also walk in newness of life. That as Christ was raised from the dead, we're baptized into Christ's death, and we're raised in Christ's life. This is the Gospel. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his, of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, understanding this, knowing this, comprehending this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead, who's free from sin? He that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Well, here, well, here you know, here's a mouthful. Christ died unto sin. He never died in sin. Amen. See, the key with Christ and, and why 
we have to understand he knew no sin. Because if he had died in sin, he couldn't have released us from sin. Would have been no way. We would still be bound in sin. So any idea that Christ was just like me is wrong. devil came and tempted him. Scripture says in every way such as man is tempted. You know, it gives you the example after he was filled with the Spirit. After the baptism in Jordan, he went out and the devil tempted him. And he knew not sin. So any idea that Christ was ever just like us because he had a body, I think would be a big error. He was born in the flesh. He came into the flesh. But he never had the nature of the flesh. And when he was tested, he proved it. So he proved it by not being guilty, never found guilty. I always do that which pleases my Father. I have never not pleased God. Now we read over these things sometimes and we just glance over them, but there's a purpose they're written because he knew no sin. He that knew no sin was made to be sin for us because we knew sin. Our nature was sin. So I, I said this many times years ago with a child. You, you have a new baby. Right? The baby starts growing up. You don't have to teach the baby to lie. Baby will tell you, you know, once he, gets, he or she gets to a certain age. Uh, Brother Les was talking about the turkey flying out of the, what, the shelf yesterday, the, the glass turkey, and breaking. And his son saying, I don't know how it happened. Flew out. Glass turkey. Glass turkey didn't fly out. We know the glass turkey didn't fly out. If I'm in a house, the glass turkey's flying out. I'm getting out of the house more than likely, right? So we know the glass turkey didn't fly out of there. Somebody knocked the glass turkey off. But the nature of man is, is evident, and my point is the nature of man is evident even in a child. The nature of man comes forth. And the nature of man is sin. It's in him. And, and, he, and he has this nature and, and this awareness of himself, just like Adam did, Adam was aware that he was short of the glory of God, that he didn't have the glory of God, that he was minus God. And so then man gets in this futility to please God. And you get in the story of Cain and Abel shortly after Adam, and this is what comes out, that Adam and Eve have two sons. They have Cain and Abel. And Cain takes the work of his own hands and he brings it out. And he brings it to God and he says, Hey God, here's my work. 
That's what that spoke of. He was a tiller of the land. And remember, the land was cursed. So he brought produce from the land to the Lord. And he said, here I've worked for you, God. Bless it. And Abel brought a lamb or a sacrifice. A blood sacrifice signifying, prophesying of Christ that was going to come that, that, it, that nothing I could do, Lord, was good enough for you. And therefore I bring a blood sacrifice. And that whole thing was set up in Cain and Abel. That, that those two sons, that the, the, the nature of man is always trying to please God. Christians have walked around for years trying to please God. God, be satisfied with me. And, and it seems like the harder we try to please God, the less pleasing to God we feel. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have. God, I'm going to please you. Amen. And I wind up in all kinds of nonsense. Because the ability to please God is not in myself. That's why the Spirit of God baptized us into Christ. Amen. If, it was in, if it was in ourselves, God would have just gave us the Word of God. Even, even with the Word of God, we, we get an idea, well, God just gave us the Word of God, so now we learn the God, Word of God and we go out and please God. And so by the Spirit, we just learn the Word of God and now we go and please God. No, no. The Spirit shows us Jesus. Listen to me. The Spirit doesn't just show us words of God. The Spirit shows us Jesus, that through Jesus we can find peace with God. Because by by you know because I I'll read the Word of God and I'll read you know that the power of God's upon me and I'll run out and try to exercise the power of God. Has anybody ever done that besides me? I'm going to exercise the power of God. Now, power of God's in me. Why is it not working? One most secret about the Holy Spirit. When He will come, He will testify of me. He will take me of mine, Jesus says, and show it to you. He's going to take me. He's going to show you me. He's going to show you what I've done. And so Paul gets a hold of this because Paul had spent time in the Lord and he gets a hold of it. God had revealed Christ in him. And he says to them that don't you understand that when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into His death. You were plunged to His death. So His death Satisfied God for sin. So now you are satisfying God because of Jesus. Read on down through verse 18. I won't this morning. But flip over to Romans 7. And I told you something earlier uh, about keeping your mind what God said to Eve that you're going to be under the rule of your husband. Keep that in mind. 
Romans 7 verse 1. Know ye not, brethren? For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. What has dominion over the man as long as he lives? The law. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to the husband as long as she liveth. But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. She's what? Loosed. She's free. Okay? So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. She's free. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So when God said to Eve, the man shall have rule over you, He was looking all the way to the cross. He was speaking all the way to, to, the, to the spiritual side of this thing. And He was saying that Christ will rule over the church. Christ will have dominion over the church. And here's, and here's the good news about this. This is really good news. The law doesn't have dominion over you. Jesus does. You should jump up and down. The law does not have dominion over you. Jesus does. Now here's what Christians do. They mess up. I know because I've messed up once or twice. An hour. They mess up. And they go back to the law to find justification. And instead of finding justification, they find condemnation. Because that's what the law does. It shows you your lack. But you become dead wherein you were held, which was the law through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, that you should live to Him, to Jesus Christ, who raised from the dead. And instead of you running to the law to find your justification, try running to Jesus. That's why Brother John says, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Christ Jesus the righteous. He didn't say, if any man sins, go waller in the law and try to find your righteousness. He says we have an advocate with the Father who is Christ Jesus the Lord. And see, Christ Jesus the Lord has freed me from sin. Doesn't mean I won't mess up and sin. I still may mess up and sin. Now, I believe the power of His life, you can disbelieve it, I believe it. The power of His life can overcome sin in me, I believe that. Okay? But if I mess up, my hope is not in being made righteous by the law ever. My sanctification isn't through the law ever, never will be, never could be. If it was, then Jesus wouldn't have come. Jesus has freed me from the law in that He died to it. He died to sin and He died to the law. Now He lives unto God. See, He was born under the law. Get a hold of this. He was born of woman made under the law to redeem them who were under the law. Paul writes to the Galatians. He redeemed us out of the law to walk unto God through Him and not by the letter of the law. That's why the Spirit shows me Him. Because my life is in Him. Now people get real afraid of this. The law, I'll tell you, the law was holy and just. The law was the Word of God. I'm not against the law. The law was of God, but it served its purpose. When Jesus came, the law had served its purpose. It was, it was complete. He was who the law was pointing to. He was the righteousness of God. He was the holiness of God. He was in the right standing with the Father. He was who the law was declaring. It was never declaring you. It was declaring Him. And He is your Savior from sin. Glory to God. And that's what those brazen feet, brass feet stand for is the judgment of death. That when He died, I died with Him. And I'm no longer held in the law. I'm no longer held under sin and bondage. I'm held by Christ. He's who holds me. He's who secured me. He's my security, man. My security's not doing the law. My security's knowing the Lord. And the truth of this thing is when this thing gets working in you, some of the things you, you, you like to do, you probably won't want to do them anyway. Not because the law said so, but because you're in relationship with Christ. Amen. You've come to a place of, of being united with Him and His life. And you start glimpsing His life. You start getting a look at what He's like. And then you want what He's like to be your very being. You want it to fill your soul, to fill your mind, to fill who you are. You'll, you'll start, your, whole, your prayer life will even change. God, make me this. Make me what He is. And you'll realize the only one that can do that is God. I can't do it. 
My attempts are futile. You do it. I submit. I bow. I, I, I fall down to You, Lord. And this is what begins to work in you. Because you see this glorious Savior. And you see how glorious He is. That He is absolutely glorious. Absolutely. He's, he's absolutely perfect. And God has made you perfect in Him. He has freed you from the penalty of sin. You are dead there. Paul says, reckon it. Reckon yourselves to be dead. Indeed, unto sin. Reckon means to take an inventory. I said this last week. It means to take an inventory. In other words, go and account this to yourself. Reckon it to be so. Not because of what you've done. You reckon it so because your union's with Him. You're married to another. See, in a marriage, you get everything the, if you're a woman in the natural. And you marry a rich husband and you don't fill out the new paperwork they have. You get everything the man has. You get his name. You get his identity. Good or bad. You get everything else. So you have died to the law that you might be married to another. So now what Jesus has is yours. Your union isn't with Adam. Your union isn't with the law. Your union is with Christ. That's where your union's at. I don't know how many Scriptures we may have to read to believe this, but that's what God said. That's what Jesus prayed. He's prayed that they may be one as we are one, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. Perfect, complete. So, So we get made perfect in one. We get perfected in Him. We come to His perfection. See, what we're doing is we're seeing all things that He is. And that's what the good news is. We don't see all things that we are. We see all things that He is. I can tell you what we are. I've seen myself. And I can tell you how bad myself is. I could stand here all day and tell you how bad myself is, but... That doesn't give you no solution. Then you just try to run out and make it better. And you can't. God, I ain't going to hate nobody anymore. Next thing out of your mouth, I hate them. (laughs) I can't stand them. Sure nobody else has ever thought that. So your union comes into Him. A lot better man than what I was. 
of the Lord, man. <laughs> Lord Jesus, a whole lot better man. So God brought you into a whole lot better man than what you ever were. So all you have to do is learn Him. So then, so then if you devote the rest of your life to learning Him, it'll probably be worthwhile. You'll probably enjoy it. You'll probably like it. You'll probably begin to say, man, I really like this salvation because I'm learning Him. I ain't learning trying to me getting uh, give me ten things to do to get better. I, I, I learn Him. And that's what Paul's letters were. They were all in relationship. In fact, Paul said, one place I've determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him. 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 Crucified. So, so, in other words, in your living, I'm after Jesus Christ and Him crucified, Waverly. This is, how, this is what I'm after. I'm not after anything else. I'm after Christ crucified in you. That you can see the freedom, the liberty, and the life that He's given you. But you can't see that but in Christ crucified. You can't come there but in Christ crucified. You can try to find it, but Jesus said you can't come no other way. I'm it. I'm the answer. I'm the door. There's not another. You're not going to get in this any other way. It's through knowing Him. This is life eternal that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. The only way you can know the only true God is through, in, and by Jesus Christ. Can't do it no other way. I can't figure it out. In myself, I'll come up with all kinds of foolish ideas. That's why you've got all kinds of religions. Those man says, well, I'll get God this way. No, you won't. You might go to a building. You might even call it a church. You won't know God. Because God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to Himself. And He makes Himself known through Christ Jesus. That's it. Period. Flip over to Colossians 2. I love this. Verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. (laughs) Rooted. And build up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein. Abounding work in Him with thanksgiving. Beware. Beware of what? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So the fullness of God doesn't dwell anywhere else. In Him dwells all the fullness of of the deity. It's all in Him. All the divine nature, all the characteristics of God, all the essence of God, everything God is dwells in Christ. That's what I believe He's saying here. And you! Notice the very next verse. Not only does the fullness of God dwell in Christ, and you 
are complete in Him. So you're complete where the fullness of God's at, which is the head of all principality and power. Mark that. If you don't mark it, write it down. The head of all principality and power. Notice this. We'll make a point in a minute. And in whom you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Sounds a whole lot like Romans 6. Putting off the body of sins by the circumcision of Christ because he died to sin and he raised unto the Spirit. Buried with him in baptism wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of, it, of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Now if I read that together, Paul says all principality and power bows to him. Doesn't bow to the law of Moses anymore. So therefore let no man judge you in meat. Why do you say in meat? Because they could only eat certain meats. Go back to the law and read it. Or in drink. Or in regard to a holy day. So when someone comes and throws the judgment of the law upon you, Paul's saying, don't give in to it. He has all power and authority. He has all power and authority. He's saying to the believer, he's writing to the Colossians, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the law. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, being made a curse for you. Cursed is every man to hang upon the tree. So the curse of the law has been removed. You're free. Don't go back under it. God's dear children all over the earth. All over the earth. God's children. And hear me. They're God's people if they've been born again. But they continually, habitually come back under the law thinking they're not approved of God. Over and over again. They're trying to be approved. He has approved you. He has made you free. What's the answer? How do I get deliverance? Knowing Him. Knowing Him. I come to know Him and He'll deliver me from all the the manner of the flesh because His life ain't even there. His life is greater than that. One last Scripture. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians, Ephesians. I believe I want chapter 3. 
Nope. Nope. You have to give me a second. Twenty-two. Five twenty-two. Well, twenty-two. Just read every chapter twenty-two, and you'll find me. Chapter five, twenty-two. Ephesians. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Again, we're back to this husband and wife. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Submit yourselves to what Christ has done. Hear that. Submit to what He's done. Submit to the cross. Father, how do I do that? Father, You sanctified me completely by one offering for sin. That's how I do that. Father, You took all my sins. Father, You crucified me with Christ. You give Him authority. Even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Is. Notice this word is. Not going to be. He is. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water. By the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, I want to stop here for a minute. People read this scripture. I hear it, I, I used to hear it a lot and still hear it that Jesus is coming after a spotless bride. If He doesn't make you spotless, you're not going to make yourself spotless. He washed you in His blood. Okay. How do I, how do I get this? How do I get a hold of this? Through the washing of the water of the Word. In other words, get in the Word. Get in the natural, literal book. And the spiritual word, who is Christ. Actually, this word here means rima, the spoken word. It'll wash you. It'll sanctify you. Now. Amen. Not someday for him to come back and get a bride that barely made it in and just made herself ready. She got it done. No, he might sanctify that He would. I don't even like this word might when I look up the definition. He would sanctify. He sanctified it. He made it holy through Himself. And cleanse it with the washing of the water of the Word that He might present it to Himself. This word here, that He might present it, is like standing beside of. When I looked up the word, it's like a husband and wife standing beside and the, and the husband looking at the wife and saying, You're exactly what I want. He sanctified it. He cleansed it and presented it to Himself as unblemished glory to God, as holy, as perfect. My God, God's people need to hear this. 
He has sanctified you. He has cleansed you. Just sit under His cleansing flow. And let that get real in you. Let it be real in you. That, that, that joy of, of, of being a child of God, that, that joy of being in union with Christ will live in you. That there, there be a joy of this thing. Amen. For all men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. And see, see, Paul brings this in the natural, because if you understand the relationship in Christ... See, see, we've taught, and, and I'm about done this morning, but we've taught for years, and I, and I learned this through the school of hard knocks. Sometimes you learn things through the school of hard knocks. God will tell you, but unfortunately we're stubborn. In the natural, this, this spiritual applies to the natural. I'm going to talk to you a few moments in the natural. Because the spiritual applies to the natural. If you come in union with God, and you believe you're one with God, the first place you should be one then is with your husband and wife. That should be the first place you're one. Is with your husband and wife. Because you're manifesting Him. And you manifest the relationship you have with Christ into your marriage. That's what Paul tells the believers that if they, uh, if you're married to even an unbeliever and they don't want to leave you, then don't get rid of them. I'm paraphrasing, but he tells you that in his writings if you read them. Because, because he's telling you you're manifesting your relationship with God in your relationship in the earth of husband and wife. And that's why he tells the wife to submit to the husband and why he tells the husband to love the wife and give himself to the wife. It's because it's a submission one to another. It's an honor of one another. Because you honor the Lord and then you honor your husband and your wife. That's why so many marriages are in disarray because they don't understand that they have a union with God and in their marriage, you know, they're out here seeking to get unmarried. So many Christians are seeking to get unmarried and they don't need to seek to get unmarried. They need to seek to know God and then minister the life of God into their marriage, honey. That this, this isn't out of the realm of the law, it's out of the realm of the Spirit. See, even, even when you read Paul's writing, Paul tells them in another place, and we, we neglected talking about this through the years, but he says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And why does Paul say that? Why, you know, you know, I, you know, for years I've wondered, I can go back to the letter of law and say, tell you why by the letter of law, because if they weren't a Jew, God, God told them, don't, don't you go get no Philistine women. Or Philistine men, leave them alone. They're ungodly. We preach that of the law, right? A man's son. Well, tell me about it by the Spirit. I'm going to tell you by the Spirit. I'm going to tell you why by the Spirit. Because if you've been married to the Lord, you're in union with God, and you go out and marry someone that's not in union with God, you're going to have difficulty in your home. You're going to bring difficulty into your house, whether you believe that or not. It's going to come to your doorstep, and you're going to deal with that for the rest of your days. Now, you may be, you may be saved, 
But you're bringing difficulty into your home because you're not listening to the Word of God. Where if you come in a marriage and you're both believers and you're both sanctified in the Lord, then your minds are going to be upon the Lord. You're going to have a household then that's going to be upon the Lord. You're going to be after being upon the Lord. That is why I wish I had seen what I've seen a number of years ago and ministered it into my kids and ministered it into people's lives because these things are important. They, they, they hit where the rubber hits the road, man. They get down into the nitty-gritty. They affect our lives. They affect how I live in the earth. Knowing I'm dead with Christ affects me because I know sin doesn't have dominion. Even if I mess up, I know He has... He has paid the price and He has sanctified me and it's all done through Him. See, this thing's real to me. And it's getting realer every day. And I can't, it's like, it's like if you tell me to take something else, I, if you tell me to open my book mouth and you give me the mic, I'm going to preach Christ and Him crucified. I don't have another message to preach. I don't have anything else. And, and these things need to be applied in our lives, not just in, the, in church. We need to walk out and apply them to one another. That if I love Christ, then I love my neighbor. Then I'll not revile when I'm reviled. And these, these things will start working in me, not because the law says so, because His life is in me. And see, we walk around like the little kids under the law saying, the law said you shouldn't do this. Well, I'm going to try not to do it again. In the back of your mind, you're sitting there saying, yeah, you let that guy cut me off again. I'm going to show him. I'm going to get him. You ain't never done that, have you, Kat? You, you're ready to get me right here in the door today. I'm kidding with you. I love Kathy. You're ready to run her wheelchair right over me, weren't you? Get out of the way, Wayne. I'm just picking on Kathy. She's precious, and I love her. So I'm just using, you know, picking on it. But see, these things affect your life. Knowing Christ crucified affects your life because if I begin to understand this, then I'm going to live out of it. I don't understand it. I'm just, uh, you know, I'll live like, well, I'm doing the best I can to someday make heaven my home. And, 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 and you may be saved. And, and I'm not saying you're not saved. If you've received the Lord, I believe you are saved. So I'm not saying you're not saved. But I'm telling you, there's a better living than that. I'm telling you that. There's a better living. And that's what God's after is the better living right here in the earth. That you not perish here in the earth, but you have abundant life right now. Anyway, I want you to read the rest of this in uh, Ephesians. I love this for years. This is a great mystery where it's talking about the husband and wife or... This cause shall man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. You know, we like to say, let not man put away. We, we, we take that scripture, let not man do away with what God hath joined together. You, you, I forget exactly how that scripture Goes, but we quote that scripture a lot of times. If somebody's going through marital problems, they'll quote that scripture. What God's joined together is Christ and the church. Man can't put it asunder. And if I live out of it, it'll work in my home. 
I'll guarantee you, it'll change relationships. You want your relationship changed? Know Christ and Him crucified. You want to be better to your wife? Know Christ and Him crucified. You want to be better to your husband? You know Christ and Him crucified. It'll take care of the self-will, the self-arrogance, the self-everything. There's no flesh or glory in His presence. Anyway, Lord bless you. I'm done this morning. I have two weeks in a row.